Good morning. Hey, looks like we're connected. Yes. What? You're outside? Outside. It's getting a little warm, but uh, still, still cool enough to probably make this work. Wow. Thank you so much for making the time. And I know you have to work a lot these days. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. Hi, I'm Cyril, your host, and welcome to my podcast that I called I Really Want to Do This. In this podcast, I interview guests from all walks of life and try to understand the various ways that different types of people with different backgrounds and experiences succeed in achieving their goals in their very own ways. Think of the past 10 years in your own life. Have you had a personal goal, an objective? Maybe you call it a dream of doing this one thing. You really want to do that one thing, whatever it may be, but for some reason, you never succeeded in making it actually happen. Well, by showcasing successful achievers and asking them how they did it, I sincerely hope that this podcast will give you some ideas and maybe answers on where to start, how to proceed, in order to actually do that one thing that you really want to do. Hi everyone, this is Cyril. Wow, and I was I woke myself up on that one. <laughs> Hi everyone, <laughs> this is Cyril, and thanks again for being here. We have an amazing guest today. And uh, can't wait to hear uh, his story. Uh, good morning on a beautiful Friday. How are you doing, DB? Doing fantastic. Yeah, thanks for having me. Is, uh, is your name DB? What does that stand for? Yeah, yeah DB became my, my name as I went through uh, my doctoral studies. I don't know why. I think I wanted to appear older. And the name uh, Derek uh, just seemed too young. And, and uh, uh -huh. so I took on the moniker DB. Uh, not knowing anything about D.B. Cooper or, or what what taking on initials might mean in life. But uh, I, I'm kind of stuck with it now. Well, that's good. It's really unique. <laughs> All right, D.B., let's get to know you. Uh, where should we start? Where, I guess, from the beginning, where, where were you born and uh, what happened to all your childhood? Tell us about this, please. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's see. I was born in Tacoma, Washington, uh, military kid. So, you know, we moved around a ton. You know, every few years we were somewhere else. And so I've spent most of my life moving. And so that's been really the bulk of, of, of some of my formative experiences have just been change. Did you like it? I loved it. I have a younger sister and I don't think she loved it as much, um, but I think she you know learned a lot in that. But for me, I, I just I love the process of of creating, uh, you know, and building upon things that I had learned at each of these, um, you know, windows of time. Yeah. And it really, I think, fostered or maybe cemented some existing kind of personality things uh, within myself. And I, I, I loved it. So, so where were you? Do you remember when you were a kid? Like what states? Was it uh, only domestically or was it international? Oh, right. Yeah, it was. So let's see, um, began in, in Washington, then to Oregon, then Texas, Arkansas, the Philippines during junior high. So I spent junior high in the Philippines 
then back to Arkansas and then Alabama. And that brought me to, to university um, age. So it was, I think, 18 or 13 or 18 moves over 18. Yeah, 13 moves over 18 years. Um, and some of those were, were smaller, just kind of, you know, one house or neighborhood to another, but numerous states. And being a kid from the Northwest, I guess, uh, in name only, because I spent most of those years in the Southern states. But as you can tell, I, I, I never developed the accent. Tell, tell me a souvenir about the Philippines. Well, you know, it was during junior high and it was during the late 80s. I remember watching Back to the Future at that time. And so it was very much a skateboard culture. And it was a you know fairly safe place to be both on base and, uh, and off base. And so, I, you know, the jeepneys, if you've ever seen the kind of uh, local taxi, is a, a jeepney. It's a converted um, wow. you know, jeep rig um, made longer. And so we would, uh, following that Back to the Future uh, scene where he's skateboarding and hanging onto the back of the truck, like, like that was that was my Philippine, uh, that, you know, um, and swimming and, um, you know, snorkeling in uh, South China Sea. But I've got to say, it's pro probably the more mundane junior high memory of skateboarding uh, and feeling a bit, uh, you know, re rebellious, uh, getting yelled at for hanging onto the back of the jeepney. Mm -hmm. Wow, I got to tell you, so we've only been speaking for like three minutes. And you have a very soothing voice, like a very nice, soft voice that inspires a lot of confidence. Like, I feel confident in you. Like, I want to trust you just because you're the way you speak and your voice. This is great. Uh, tell me about your parents. And, you know, the idea that comes to mind is, wow, military, you must have a discipline. But in the contrast with your very soothing voice and personality tell me how those two combine <laughs> yeah i think my parents are certainly very unique and i think what they fostered for me was with both a sense of discipline uh you know my parents are both firstborns i'm i'm the firstborn so there's certainly a, a psychological factor there where each what of us firstborn well i think for each of us we're kind of looking to both you know carry a banner of the family in some sense like be this kind of next um, well, kind of a, yeah, a banner holder. And so really carry on a, a sense of legacy, a sense of, um, you know, the values uh, of my parents and they, they themselves. And at the same time, you know, being their children of the seventies and uh, from the Northwest. And so, you know, dad was a hang glider pilot from the time I was three years old you know, before he became an air force pilot. He was, a, he was jumping off mountain, actually the mountain behind me. Um, hmm. And so this blend of both, uh, just this raw adventure and possibility, and then you know, really following your passion. And for, and for my dad, that meant joining the military. But it was interesting because, you know, I, I wouldn't describe my dad as a militant or military type guy, uh, although mm. he's been incredibly successful there. I, I think that that dynamic with my parents really fostered the same thing, a, a respect for, for, for discipline and process. Um, but even though that's not really... Um, I think I think I'm far more comfortable with with change and with disclarity than mm. uh, than discipline. So I think understanding that that duality and where they where they can play well together. Did he give you room to figure things out on your own? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that uh, I was kind of a typical '80s kid at that time. So it was from morning until whenever the streetlights came on. You know, I, I was out and away and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. BMX bikes and skateboards through the neighborhoods and you know, a lot of opportunity to, to learn some tough lessons. You know, uh, you know, a couple 
couple of scraps with with other kids and it's a good it was a great experience to learn you know, limits and and respect and mm-hmm. um, the ability to you know kind of hold your own and and communicate and advocate for for things mm. yeah T- tell me about uh, your personality type when you, you were young and I'm interested in the difference between the ones you think you were born with and the one that you've built over time. Yeah, I think it's a tough question. You know, as I've analyzed this, of course, I'm sure people do. I certainly do, given my 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 training and my field. Um, I think I think I'm an introvert uh, <laughs> by by nature, but I, I think most people don't know that about me. And so I I just tell people I'm an extroverted introvert. I, I'm really comfortable alone. Uh, and I'm really comfortable up front and on stage. I, 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 I've got to think that, you know, from a very young age, my, my parents would always say uh, like, oh, hey, you know, if there was a lull in conversation, people would look to me to, to fill that gap. Yeah. And so from, from, you know, from childhood, um, I was always ready to, to be on and, you know, have a joke or have a, a movie quote or, or tell a story. And that, I think that was learned. Um, I, I don't think that it was much of a push to get there. But mm-hmm. I, I do find that I recharge um, individually. I, okay. I, no, I love it. That you know, how about other personalities that you think you've built? Uh, not personalities, but <laughs> personality types. Uh, maybe yeah, absolutely. You, you know, know, growing with your siblings and how you you had to. Well, yeah, I think I think because of the environment uh, that I grew up in, or the changing environments, I, I'm really comfortable with with change, and so I, I do struggle whenever. You know, I sense stagnancy, or I've, I've really had to learn to to focus, uh, to stick to projects that didn't um, immediately gain traction. So I think it was early. I was accustomed to early success, um, and so it became difficult as I had to grapple with failure in early you know years. Mm-hmm. And that actually that continued into you know into college. Uh, so I, I tend to be you know really dynamic as a leader, but I I know that you know in, in big projects I've got to work on communicating to everybody you know, all the members of the team and to, to be sure that my excitement is matched, you know, with giving support and following back and um, making sure that I'm clear in my expectations. And it, it's probably taken way too long to learn that not everybody loves change or working mm-hmm. in areas uh, where there isn't a clear pathway. And I, I just, that's where I thrive. I mean, not everybody has to work this way. And I really have, I've actually learned a ton from those who, who demand a more linear process. Yeah, uh, it resonates a lot with my own ex- uh, experience. Uh, when I was 18, so I was raised in France until I was 18. And at 18, you know, living in a five-child family, everything was routine. Everything was very safe. And I was a bit lack of maturity. And one way we, my parents thought of getting maturity was before I start university was to go a year overseas as an exchange student. And I arrived in in Arkansas for one year, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> I, I've been there. I, <laughs> I loved it. And the natural state. And I found myself thriving in an environment that was not familiar. I loved the, the fact that um, things were not like normal. And then from that moment on to the rest of my life, I was looking for a different, there's something different, something different, because it just makes for a super exciting life. You know, you have breakfast in, I guess, in the Philippines, it's, it's just exciting. It's, and 
I would thrive in an unfamiliar environment. And somehow you always think that everybody's the same, like you said, uh, like, well, why don't you love change? Why don't you love like things that are not familiar, you know? Tell us about what, what you're doing because you've alluded to it, but I think it's, it would be super interesting in, in hearing more about this. Well, sure. I mean, you know, I, I think I've, well, I, I've been on this path for a while, right? So, but if I'm honest, I, I've got to say that life is about moving forward without, you know, really knowing the destination, right? I mean, it's about discovering the path as we go and not, not wandering blindly, but in truth, none of us really knows where we'll end up. So for mm -hmm. me, it's been about, you know, acting in accordance with my values, goals, and taking each step toward the direction that's um, most in line with these. So I've known that my passion and strongest skill set is working with groups of people um, and, you know, adventurous endeavors and wild places. Um, I, I've learned over time that I'm a good teacher. I'm, I'm good at guiding people through, you know, different journeys. Um, and I, I, I love creating creating things, designing pro, um, programs and solving problems. So, you know, over the last 20 something years, I, I've been a professional counselor and wilderness guide and, um, you know, professor of outdoor leadership for University of Alaska. I had the opportunity to create, you know, new programs and focus, um, you know, the, the certification tracks towards, you know, industry desired, uh, you know, areas. And uh, I had the great opportunity to develop the first adventure filmmaking degree program there. Uh, and I continue with the University of Alaska Fairbanks uh, and their School of Management, um, you know, designing and teaching courses in social media and adventure film. Um, I want to do that. I want to be an adventure yeah, filmmaker. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, but, you know, behind every adventure film um, is an actual our outdoor pros actually making that happen. And it's, yeah. you know, it, it's tough to get the crew from L.A., you know, out to Alaska to actually get, you know, on set and yeah. do that. It's a, it's a very specialized field, um, you know, and. I guess from that experience, uh, those range of experiences, I, you know, I was headhunted by a few organizations to design and build some corporate teams and departments and some of them in child and youth development and infant and early childhood mental health. Um, I mm -hmm. had the privilege of designing and helping design some implementation of statewide mental health programs. My, you know, my training actually from after my university degree in, in recreation, uh, it was very clear that, that that was part of where I was going in life was you know, leading people in wild places, but it had an early experience um, as a wilderness therapy instructor where I, it kind of just blew my, my world open, where I could actually, I could be part of people's wilderness experience, but also be part of their, their own therapeutic journey. And so then I realized that I've, I've got to go back to school. I've got to, you know, get that grad and post-grad degree so that I can stay in this field. And, you know, in my current practice, um, in adventure therapy Northwest, I, you know, I continue to invest in families and kids, you know, through experiential education and development of resiliency, um, you know, through adventure, you know, and, and through all of this, I've tried to um, find just where I was ultimately headed, right? I mean, where I was, what I was really going to deliver in, in this life. And, you know, even when I've been flown to, to DC to work with Alaska senators on child development stuff, I was still looking still driving towards something else um mm. and it wasn't until my son and i raced um, our first yukon uh river quest at 445 four mile ultra marathon race um that i was 
getting the idea. And it was starting to take shape probably even when we paddled when he was 13, um, you know, 158 miles on the Yukon in pack crafts, uh, which is not an ideal craft to take um, uh, <laughs> on the Yukon in the wind. Um, but it wasn't until that race um, at some point that I was, that it really be, began to take shape that, that I really want to do this thing. And so, you know, I'd spent years of doing, you know, all that stuff I just mentioned and my wife and I've been raising five kids in Alaska sharing the journey of sled dogs and canoeing and skiing and mm -hmm. that whole, I guess, hashtag AK life. Um, and, you know, YouTube videos and sharing this stuff out. And so for, you know, all these adventurous things we do as a family, um, we've, we've tried to share that, tell the, tell that story. And it's, not, it really isn't how, about how great we are as outdoor pros or how perfectly we parent because we aren't either perfect parents or pros. Um, but our success has been out of this, this discipline, um, communication, uh, and this accumulation of experiences. So uh, we've been able to achieve some really great milestones um, through those, I guess, mm -hmm. skill sets. Mm -hmm. I mean, even in the ultra marathon paddling world, maybe especially within that world, our success is, you know, was initially measured uh, just trying to finish, you know, without getting dropped. Right. Um, and we improved, you know, in future years and uh, became a little bit competitive, maybe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, the last race we had was uh, the Missouri River 340. We raced as a C4 team. So my wife and I, uh, our 18-year-old son and our 15-year-old daughter. So, you know, a family team. Um, and you know, we shouldn't have had a shot at anything special. You know, it's mom, dad, two kids. Um, but with a maximum of 85 hours, we finished in 48. Um, and we're just a, a painful 40 minutes behind the third place, you know, all male team. Um, but I mean, wow. we had a blast and we, we actually were really competitive and it, it absolutely wasn't because of fitness. It was, um, it was because teamwork and it was this grit in the face of fitter and faster competitors. Um, I suppose the continuation there on, on path was that, you know, for 20 years, people have asked us to share and kind of guide them to do similar things with their kids, with their spouses and, mm -hmm. um, you know, how to get active and stay outside and adventure mm -hmm. together. And it finally hit me during these experiences that, you know, I've been working in small groups um, with, you know, individuals and programs, and I just couldn't figure out how to reach and share this out. Um, so why not design a, like an online course where I could lay out the basics, just like a university course. Um, and so we developed adventure-based parenting, this 12 week intensive coaching program where we're kind of rolling this out just like a, a class. And we, because wow. of zoom and telehealth, uh, or tele technologies, we can, you know, go through the curriculum and then we can also meet virtually, you know, with people around the globe. And that's, that's really been this sense of where life and the path are, are taking us at this point. Wow. Fantastic. Congratulations on so much energy and, and creation. Uh, I feel like families that spend time together and doing the same activity is a, a kind of lost art. Uh, and I'm the first one to, to witness this with my own kids. I take them to all the sports that they do. <laughs> like uh, football and basketball and water polo, but we don't really do stuff together. And, and I feel like I wish I could, I could find a way to create that more and, and being outdoor um, 
you know, and just, okay, build a fire together. But having the four of them, like you and your wife and, and the kids together must be fantastic. And you create bonding, you create memories, you create, wow, kudos on this. Um, I'm, I'm sold on the education for, uh, adve with adventure. Uh, I do a lot of adventure. So this one trip I did in Togo for two weeks, we were uh, bike packing in the bush, basically in the, in small tracks from village to village. And I always thought, wow, this is such, um, you know, a teachable moments for any teenager, especially one that lives in, in, you know, in America that is basically has everything you could want, but still somehow could be unhappy with themselves or with their lives, you know, as a teenager and how this could be amazing. So if you want to create a program in Africa, let's do it together. <laughs> Seriously. It well, would absolutely. Be I think you, fantastic. you hit on so many important pieces. I mean, we, we have insulated uh, and with, with good intent, I believe we, we've just insulated kids experience and our own experiences. And we, we lose this development of resiliency of, of comfort in adversity. And that doesn't mean that we want things to be uncomfortable, but in truth, you know, I think we all know that, the concept of kind of being on a on the growing edge is we learn not when we're, when we're under duress. I mean, there's certain learning when we're under duress or in emergency situations, but we, we learn so well when we're slightly uncomfortable, when we're being pushed by a good mm. coach or mentor, or when the situations have the, the potential for failure. And in truth, I mean, as I often tell people, I mean, failure is, is so, so much more effective of a teacher than, than yeah. success. It's, tough to nail down how we succeeded but it's usually very obvious where we fail and yeah. that's a great tool do, do you think it's part um the the, the culprit uh, is part the parents uh, a new way of protecting too much over protecting their kids i was reading a friend who's writing a book and he was telling how he he first was introduced to china with his chinese teacher and and they did a trip for I think two weeks in China and they arrived in, in Beijing and the teacher said, all right, uh, you guys, uh, today's Thursday, uh, you get four days and you have to discover China. So go ahead and you can come back every night. There's a hotel, but if you want to find another hotel and do your own adventure, go. And for five, four or five days, those kids, 15 years old, were in China. I mean, is it even possible in the American spirit to, to have your kids like this? So, my original question is, do you think it's part of a, a psychosis of the parents of overtaking care of their kids um, because of the dangers of, of today's society, maybe, or whatnot? Well, it's interesting. I mean, in, I think the short answer is yes. I mean, right. I mean, kids, kids are learning uh, based on what, what parents and the, the mass of adults, so the parents or adult figures, uh, really allow them to, to do. And so we, we hold the keys. And we, we, we set the rules. And so, you know, a, a kid in adolescence, their natural job is to define themselves and to have some, some rebellion um, in that. Mm -hmm. And ideally that's to kind of shape um, who they really are. But we have, we have, there's this term called helicopter parenting that is, you know, a long established, um, you know, a phrase within, unfortunately it's now in it's now been in higher higher ed for a number of years, not just you know elementary or high school, but in in post secondary education of helicopter parenting, where the parent is just involved in every piece and shuttling and very much packaging every um, every moment of life, and we we lose that that boredom time that 
where the mind just has to find something interesting to do and to to entertain mm. ourselves and that's that's a real disservice and you know there's so many factors and I, you know to say that well it is it, it's it's uh, a parent's fault solely i mean the deck is stacked everything in our um in at least in our american but certainly in, in the in our modern world is is so simple and everything comes so quickly and there just isn't the ability unless we're very diligent to seek out that adversity and it's it's mm-hmm. unpleasant and i think that's the challenge is that in truth you know you know as you mentioned you know your adventures and and as i talk about ours the truth of adventure is rain you know heat um uncertainty danger and but that's exactly what life really is and mm-hmm. the problem with insulating against natural consequences um is that we don't learn limits and we we don't learn how far we actually could go as the so possibilities are also blunted and so mm-hmm. we really can't we can't insulate one without without shunting the other side of that and that's possibility and and the sense of of gosh of, of growth the sense of what if mm-hmm. mm. i love it you know you're talking about wilderness learning and I'm a very, very big proponent of traveling and how it molds uh, a new mind every time you go to a different country on on a kid, especially. But I only started traveling. I was, well, I traveled in Europe, but I would say like independently, maybe I was 20. Um, And I wish I had traveled earlier because this is so good. Learn new languages and and figure out that, well, the way that I've been thinking is, is maybe... 5% 5% of the whole world. And there's so many other ways of, of thinking. Um, have you tra- traveled uh, with your kids? Uh, uh, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, or lived uh, overseas maybe. Well, yeah. So let's see, we spent time actually when, when uh, Liam was still young, we, I spent uh, some time, we spent some time in the Czech Republic developing some youth programs there uh, and, you know, kind of crossing into Poland, but very, very briefly in Poland. Um, but, you know, um, time in Czech Republic. And that was formative, certainly for Greta and I, my wife and I, as uh, you know, we were in a more of a kind of conc- more learning space than and Liam was as you know, a younger child. Um, it, but that did cement within him this sense of, of travel and possibility. And, and then, you know, truly not living while we did live in Alaska for, a, a, you know, better parts of the last 20 years, uh, most of that was living, you know, outside of the larger cities. And so very much in a, in a truly cross-cultural context. And I think the challenge that most people don't get about Alaska, um, especially if, if you don't get out of the kind of three or four large uh, city or towns, I suppose, respectively, is that there is an undercurrent of, you, you're very much living in a different culture, but it's not obvious um, so it's a shared currency a shared language but uh, but tribal cultures in Alaska are so diverse and so incredibly amazing but because of the American culture that kind of uh, that plays right alongside it it's easy to miss that and I think that because we've had the opportunity to live in much smaller places um, we've had the you know, great blessing and the challenge of uh, of kind of being thrust into the reality of of the true uh, culture that exists there or cultures because it's such a, I mean, Alaska is a massive, mm-hmm. massive place. Um, so I think in that sense, I, I always want to say that, um, that 
yes, the bulk of their time has been in, in Alaska as kids, but it has very much been a, a cross-cultural experience of both adventure and, um, uh, you know, other people. Yeah. Wow. Perfect. I love it. Um, well, I feel like I already get to know you better already. <laughs> Let's let's move to the second part of the podcast, which is the "I really want to do this" uh, idea. Uh, was there a moment? Now it doesn't have to be the biggest. I really want to do this, or it could be the smallest, but the, the first one that made you a sense that you could do anything after you had succeeded. But, but do you have one one of that really want to do this moment you can tell us about? Absolutely, I think you know. The, the Yukon River Quest was probably uh, either the moment or the driver of, of moments. And, you know, I, I had mentioned our background or my background as a you know, wilderness leader and my wife's as well. So you know, we, we both met um, and, uh, you know, early on at college, at university and have been on a similar path in terms of outdoor leadership and working with people. And so there's never any disconnect in that um, that passion for us. And so that's, you know, I'll own, that's been incredibly helpful for continuing to keep me and us you know, out and, and doing these. The, the Yukon River Quest was such as a sea change uh, of how to experience the, you know, the, the outdoor environment. I, I've always been a, a trip leader, you know, so, you know, I paddled, paddled in the boundary waters and all over the Western States and, and Canada. And, but those trips have always been, you know, expeditionary or, um, you know, trek based. And so there was never a speed component unless we just needed to make it to a certain location for some mm. logistical reason. Yeah. Yeah. But it was never about time as the, you know, the key piece. And so coming from a background of a wilderness tripper to showing up at this race, because I thought it'd be a neat, you know, rite of passage opportunity for my son, Liam, uh, we discovered very, very quickly um, in the first few miles that that our, you know, our paddling style had to change um, somewhere across La Barge, um, um, La Berge, We were we were just hating life uh, and wishing that we could camp. Um, what, a, what a gorgeous <laughs> yeah, lake. I what know. An amazing. Yeah. But, but our, our task was to get across this 32 miles of suffering. Uh, before getting dropped at that at that first you know that next checkpoint and so somewhere across the bears we discovered you know the marathon paddling stroke probably from seeing so many boats passing us <laughs> <laughs> and from then on as soon as we hit the current on the other side of the bears something clicked and i, I think it, it clicked not just in paddling but also in in possibility for other things in life and I don't, I, it's kind of funny because um, I've done big trips. I, I've been out for 46 days without a building, you know, it, you know, across Canada and Alaska um, and the, you know, the boundary waters and lots of big places. Um, but adding in this forced element um, of this external, um, you could get dropped from this race and you're, you are being competed against mm -hmm. was such a shift. And it, it transformed it, I think for me. Mm. It's it's like an external pressure to perform. Like uh, if I stop, you know, well, I could, yeah, be, uh, um, what is it, out of the race. But also right. you see the other people go in and how do they do? I, I want to, you know, how do they keep going? And okay, let's do it. Like, you push a little bit more than in your own batteries. 
Mm. Right. And I think the only reason we were successful, and I say successful, meaning, you know, we finished, you know, well under the time, but nothing, nothing impressive other than it was, you know, me and a 15 year old kid um, who turned 15 on his birthday. So he, he barely hit the the eligible start uh, moment. He was the youngest of the, the forever, right? The yes, ever he, he'll hold it. I mean, unless somebody beats him by minutes on their birthday, <laughs> um, Liam holds the youngest finisher um, award. And, you know, I think the key piece was that we were comfortable in the environment. So we were comfortable uh, in Alaska, in, you know, yeah. in the, the um, cold in nights. the subarctic, you know, waters. Yeah. And we weren't competitive racers, but we felt at home where we were. And so, there was never this moment. Well, there were, there were a few moments, but in general, that there wasn't this moment of we're not safe here. Yeah. Definitely felt that as the winds kick up and that kind of thing. But what we were still, I think that's what saved it for us. We were comfortable in in wild places, and we learned to be fast. Hmm. So let's go back to the origin of that idea of doing that race. Was it born uh, together with your son? Like you were navigating youtube and you saw that guy doing it or how did it get born and and from that moment and how did you decide to actually get into the race and how long was it before the race and how did you plan for it right well we my wife and i have set up these uh, kind of rites of passage through different ages for each of the kids and it's the same same tell me about this i want to know about this tell me yeah well so at 10 for example you know first of all we're out outside and we adventure together a lot. So I guess yeah. kind of the base of this, as I share with parents as well, so much is that we, we really can't just compel and then all of a sudden, you know, have people be comfortable. We don't get to just tell people to be comfortable. And that's built over time. And it's built from being uncomfortable. So we learn these, these pieces. So, so the first piece is we have to be doers, not, not sayers. Um, so expose kids and ourselves um, to those things from a very young age and just normalize that. Um, and then at age 10, um, they have an overnight, you know, multi-day overnight winter camping trip that they take uh, with their mom. So uh, Greta, my wife, will take kids out for multiple days. And whether that's in the Alpine or, um, you know, subalpine, uh, they're out for multiple days, you know, winter camping. Um, yeah. So something that Greta and I are very comfortable with. We, we've, you know, guided uh, dog sled treks for, you know, for Paul Shirky there in Ely, Minnesota with Wintergreen Dog Sled Lodge. And you know, transformative experience for us. And so we, we recognize that being able to be comfortable in cold is such an important skill set, And that's one of the key pieces that cold happens on most, most trips at some point. Um, so that's a first key piece at age 10, multi-day winter camping trip, nothing complex, yeah. just cold. Yeah. Um, and then at age 13, they do a multi-day trek uh, with me on, on rivers. So we go from a cold experience and we go to a multi-day paddling experience. Yeah. And 15, that, that experience, as you, as you asked, Liam and I were just searching around for kind of crazy ideas. At, at 13, we had paddled the Yukon, um, or he had paddled the Yukon 158 miles from Eagle to Circle. Um, and so cabin to cabin and just, you know, he was the navigator for that trip. I, you know, he, he had the maps. Um, and he was responsible. Um, he was in his own boat. Um, wow. So ultimately, I, I could be near him, but he'd have to figure it out. Um, mm. And that's tremendously empowering for, for a kid. Uh, and from that, we just heard from people on the river saying, oh, have you heard about this Yukon River Quest? And of course, we had not at that time. We had 
no idea that people really raced paddling races other than you know something in town um and so we yeah we 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 just hunted it down we signed up for the race and then started watching what few videos we could find and um and had no idea what really practice should look like and we you know i I was in an office job at the time, so we showed up. I was definitely, um, you know, a bit over my um, ideal weight, and Liam was underweight, being a 15-year-old scrawny kid. And our canoe, you know, we packed 25, we packed gallons of water. We packed, we packed like we were a multi-day tripping. Yeah. Um, and every time our boat came to shore, people knew we were coming and said, "This is a heavy one." Um, <laughs> and it was painful. It was not just the, the trip, you know, the race itself, but how woefully underprepared we were for this new environment uh, of racing, uh, multi-day wilderness racing. So is the 15-year-old the rite of passage going to be one that you're going to reinvent with all your kids? And, or... Yes, and so Lily, uh, our yeah. oldest daughter, just did the MR340. The Yukon request was was close to everyone, unfortunately, this year. You know, for a second year, and uh, so we we had an indication, of course, that, that things might likely go that direction. Um, and so we we looked, uh, and the MR340, the Missouri River 340, um, seemed to be a likely opener, and um, pivoted that direction. And then Lily and I both kind of discussed, how would we do this? Is this the two of us? Right. Or do we add, um, do we add, you know, Liam mom. and um, yeah. mom, you know, into this? Um, and with her age and Liam's age, it would either mean, um, since I, you know, Greta is the, um, is the skier in our family. She is the, you know, alpine skier and I'm the water guy. So between the two of us, um, if we're going to do a multi-day paddling thing, then I'm, I'm kind of the, um, I'm the more experienced there. And so Greta's great as a second um but she wouldn't be ready to go, you know, necessarily with Lily or with Liam yet. So she's still developing her, um, Skills, yeah. you know, her multi-day river skill set. So it either meant we were going to kick Liam out of the race for a year, um, or we could we could actually add two. So both Greta and Lily uh, were total newbies into this race, and so it meant that we expanded our training uh, from feeling really fit, Liam and I, for last year's unfortunately closed YRQ to the yeah. extending that training to now four of us being in race mode. And it, it was su such an extension of what we were already doing in the adventure-based parenting, but applying it once again, like you said, to this external set of, of rules and uh, navigation. And it just, it, in, in the best way possible, it blew up and expanded our, um, our adventure-based parenting model. Do you have uh, extended the rite of passage to yourself? For myself? Yeah, when you turn 45. Well, how old are you? Uh, yeah, that's that's right. Um, this is uh, I'm finishing up my 45th year, and you know I'm <laughs> I'm scratching my head. Um, you got to sure do we... a rite of passage for yourself. Uh, yeah, I, that's a great <laughs> idea. I, <laughs> finding time away. You know, you mentioned being uh, you know one of five kids. Um, you know, Greta and I have five kids, and oh, you know, yeah, it's, it's hard, yeah. with that many kids, which is just tremendous. We we have to be really intentional and make so finding time for even just a date night can be a little bit challenging but the kids know how valuable that is for us to maintain that solid connection so but then going one step further to, to solo time is even harder to you know to, to make happen but i i get how important that is for sure i just can't 
imagine how how such a good learning experience and how much they must feel about themselves having done those rite of passage. Uh, is there any way to, to quantify that? Not to quantify. You're a teacher, so how how do you see him flourishing, or your kids, or your kid flourishing, and in terms of their own self-esteem, in terms of their their uh, thirst for life? Can you tell me more about this? Absolutely. You know, from you know, Liam is the oldest, and Lily is the oldest, our oldest daughter. So, oldest daughter and son, son and daughter, and. What we noticed, you know, with Liam being the, the first in this process um, was that each of these rite of passages, there was this, there was this leveling up. And of course, there's, a, there's a, an accumulation of all the experiences, you know, piece by piece, day by day. But those bigger experiences, those multi-day bigger experiences where a lot more is given, that's been prepped, but, all this, but now this is the moment. So at 13, it was navigation and pad, paddling solo. I mean, I was there, but you know, ultimately, if he gets himself in trouble behind me, or if I'm, you know, dealing with my own stuff, he's, he's got to figure that out until we can resolve it. That trip, he's, you know, still shorter than me at that time, but he, he stood taller. He, as we wrapped up, this was a, this was a young man. This was, you know, at 13, mm -hmm. that, that would have been an apprenticeship. That would have been a trade um, in previous times. We wouldn't have insulated for the next five or more years, you know, um, adolescence and created, this new thing that we call teenagers we we actually would have you know young becoming more and more competent young adults and we have lost this this intentional training phase and and that's why we see so much rebellion is that kids yeah. are really far more capable and they know it and and in truth I, i think well we we must know it but unfortunately we there's this weird span of time and so these rites of passage aren't They, they can be, they can be fake, um, but then everybody, the experience isn't real. So what we've noticed with our kids is this, they really do stand taller. There's this brightness in their eyes. And when we come back to the created world, because each of these rites of passages uh, are in the real world, right? On the yeah. river, that's the real world. Um, they're in the weather because that's real. And when we come back to, the, to our cultivated or our, our crafted world, it's easier to see through things. It's easier to see through the plenty and recognize that, you know, when we were on that river trip, we were, we were eating because we needed to fuel our bodies so that we could continue to push. And we recognize that, you know, if, if we're camping and a bear takes our food because we don't pack it well enough, um, or we don't store it effectively, then we don't have any, um, there's nobody coming mm. to help. And everything is more precious when you have to do it and you experience the, you know, the scarcity potential. And so that, that transfers directly into, you know, every grocery store experience into every meal that, that kids know that they can cook, you know, on trail. And we mm. can also do that at home. We also, I guess the other huge piece is we recognize how much helping helps the family and how much teaching each of our kids, um, you know, recognize at some age and they i think they get it pretty early and you know each kid is different we all have our own personalities for sure they all recognize as they continue on this journey that they are an integral part to our family functioning and mm -hmm. i think that's what expeditionary learning does really well is that if we all if we all expect the identified leader to do everything for us the trip doesn't go very well but when we all start um, adding in our pieces 
and taking responsibility, yeah. all of a sudden, <laughs> the worst trip is still really good. Yeah. How, how do you, when you take um, groups like this, how do you select the kids or, or uh, what's, you do those wilderness trips with educational purposes? Uh, tell me about how old the, the kids are and what's the frame framework of the whole trip and uh, more about this. I'm really interested because what you see in your kids, basically you don't, you could try to see in, in others, but they come with their own baggage that you don't know them as well. And, and tell me more about those, uh, those educational wilderness trips. Absolutely. So, you know, of course I've worked with a wide range of kids and adults and, uh, you know, and, and they, like I mentioned before, and you alluded to, there's an incremental teaching that has that happens over time and without that you know we're really trying to to drink from a fire hose if we're just being thrust out there and i think it, we can mm. set kids up and adults up for failure to really have a negative experience if we just launch them into something incredibly wild and it can be scary and that that's really the last thing that i want to occur on a wilderness trip i want people to recognize um, that they are incredibly capable and that that is at the core of what I think is so powerful about, you know, human powered experiences is that we, we really break things down to very human tasks and whether it's learning how to, to do a primitive fire, uh, which I've taught kids for years and years, it, it's such a simple thing that is so difficult to learn, but once it's learned, it's, it's tying your shoes. And it's so empowering to know that I may not know how to drive a car, but I can start a fire hmm. without, a, without matches, you know, with things that, that, that I know some basic principles about how fire works. And it's, it really is transformative that we, I can do something that has been done since the beginning of time. And, and that is a real thing. And, you know, so whether you're great at video games or you can you know, start a fire you know, with sticks and uh, maybe mm -hmm. it's a bow drill, that's a skill that, that really does, you know, put your shoulders back and gives, gives you a sense that, yeah, you know, I, I'm kind of bare grills in this moment. Um, and I, I think that's just powerful. But when you mentioned, you know, working with kids at different ages, um, I, so, so much of this is done with this, this balance of kind of push and patience. And so I, I always wanted to kind of let kids know and adults that, that like I'm there and, and they are, they are capable. And so, I have to do a lot of um, actually a lot of patience on my part of, of kind of staying back and not getting in the way and over teaching because mm -hmm. if we talked about friction fire, so much about learning to do a primitive fire in the beginning is, is, is painful experiences and failure. You're going to fail over and over and, and maybe for days and days of failure before you, you learn that skill. And, and it often comes with bloody knuckles uh, of, of, you know, of the mm -hmm. actual friction process and smacking your, your knuckles on rocks or sticks. But without that, it never happens. It, it doesn't happen. When mm -hmm. it finally does happen, the light in people's eyes is, it, it can't be reproduced. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it, it's, you, you just can't manufacture that. Um, it's better than any leveling up on any video game. Um, there is something incredibly amazing about seeing somebody perform something that their ancestors and progenitors, you know, for hundreds, yeah. you know, all eons of time have had to figure out. 
And it's the same, you know, traveling on a river, figuring out how to navigate, understanding at least the incoming weather and tides or, or current, uh, getting a person's first eddy turn, you know, getting a nice crisp eddy turn. There's mm. something so powerful about uh, being able to, to move across, across the real world. Wow, I love it. I, I can see the excitement that you have when you talk about other people doing those steps and kudos on you to have found that your pleasure is to see somebody else's pleasure or joy. This is so valuable. I remember this, you know, when you teach your kids how to bike and you push them, push them, push them on their two wheels, you know, and the moment you let them go and they, <laughs> they go on their own, the, that's the first time I th of your, you actually remember the pleasure you had yourself when you were with no wheels, right? So you see the pleasure in the old, other people and it fuels you. And you told us how you were looking for your path on, you know, you love wilderness, you love to teach, you love people. And, and you found this, this is a gem. That is, you, you love to see the light in the eyes of the other people. They, tell me more about how you feel when this happens. Well, it's, it, I mean, it is, it's, it's amazing. It's the experience of, of watching people, I think, wake up. I think this is the, a true awakening when people recognize yeah. that I we can this. navigate so simply, so simply, and that we, because of that, we recognize everything else is a luxury. And, and then we can actually make more conscious choices. And so it has, you know, it has all kinds of impacts. And you mentioned travel, and particularly travel to cultures that aren't similar. I mean, these are very similar experiences where we get to see outside of our, our little bubbles. And when we get to recognize that we can now make a more conscious choice for the, you know, the, the personality, the, the options that we put on, rather than just accepting this as the way, as the, the, only, the only possible way to, to live. Mm. I think that's one of the key pieces that is transferable uh, from these wilderness experiences, the, these adventure experiences, Into our, into the rest of our lives, is that everything else doesn't look quite as difficult anymore. Mm -hmm. Wow, this is so much what I want to do with this podcast. I want to show people, inspire them, that everything's possible. That they just have to do, you know, follow their dreams. And thank you so much for your sharing your experience. It's very inspirational for me. Now I want to teach. <laughs> And I want to do it, <laughs> travel with kids and stuff. Ah. Oh, la, la. we have to speak more. Okay, I, I, I would like to keep going and, and talking. We may, well, we have to do a part number two, but um, I want to be respectful of your time. I know you're, you're very, very busy. So if you had a conclusion for the listeners, like something you would like them to remember, like one takeaway, uh, What would you say? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think um, the story that, we're, that I recall is my oldest daughter, Lily, said to me, you know, Dad, when things get tough, you know, or there's an emergency, our family just digs in and everybody knows what to do. Yeah. And that's, that's not something that, that I can force or, or I can compel. I, you know, I don't get to say, okay, everybody act, act great. <laughs> everybody, yeah. everybody do the right thing. Uh, it's something that has to be built over time. 
uh, and it's built with trust and this development of resiliency. And that, and that, that I think is my mission that adventure-based parenting revitalizes relationships. It motivates active lifestyles and it fosters long-term family connections. So I don't know what the future holds, but I know that my life's work has been leading to this. And I'm, I'm thrilled to share adventure-based parenting with families all around the world. Well, please tell us uh, how can people go to those classes and courses online or follow you, uh, all the links that you have, please. Absolutely. Well, social media is um, Backcountry Professors. You know, any of those social medias, you'll find me as at Backcountry Professor um, or adventuretherapynorthwest.com, backcountryprofessor.com. And definitely check us out on YouTube. Uh, we're Backcountry Professor. Uh, keep a re running vlog there of uh, yeah. the farm, the adventures, all kinds of uh, uh, the maybe behind the scenes of how this really looks. Is everything homemade? Because I, I saw your videos. They're, they're almost professional. And the sound is amazing. Like the different angles of the cameras. And is it uh, you who's doing all the editing and stuff? Yeah, I, I do the the editing and, and, and camera work. You know, I, I had the privilege to learn from such great uh, mentors and colleagues when I was developing the adventure film program. And I know my work pales in comparison to the people who, who have tried to teach me to, um, even better. Um, you know, Michael Brown uh, comes to mind, who is just core uh, in, in helping me to develop uh, the curriculum and the model in this and, and so many others. Um, So yeah, thank you for that. Uh, we we do all of our own, and uh, so we're, if we're I want to be better over time, adventure uh, filmmaker, how do I do? Do you have a program? Do you have a course? Like, can can I come for two weeks and you teach me? Or how does it work? Well, I'm not doing much adventure film teaching right now. It's been something I've been really wondering. How do I get back into that? Uh, you know, we we started the Expeditionary Film School of Alaska back um, back when we were there, and really kind of. We're in kind of hiatus mode from that. So I'm looking forward to doing more specific adventure film teaching. I, I've wanted to do that with the adventure racing community as well, because there's so many of us catching video yep. and it, there's just a key, few key pieces. I mean, uh, filmmaking in any Western story, I could, I could talk long enough, so I'll just be brief, but yeah. it really is only comprised of a few, a few pieces. Story is king. And there's a, there's a, Uh, there's an arc that we got to follow. Um, of course, we can always deviate from that. But like anything else, like jazz, the, the way to be a great jazz musician is to be really good at your scales, to be really good at the basics. And so, so once again, you've got to have the discipline over time, and then you can play. Then you can be a master. Um, I'm still working on the discipline part. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, I doubt it. I think you're very self-driven. <laughs> okay. Very last question, BB. Um, I ask all the guests to listen to a song that puts them in a good mood or that they really like uh, before we talk so that it kind of transpires through uh, the whole chat. Uh, can you tell us what song did you listen to? Absolutely. It's Ain't No Grave by Crooked Still. Ain't No Grave. Wow. Okay. I have no idea what that is. I can't <laughs> wait to listen to it. Why do you like it? Well, it's just, it's both um, very folksy, early Americana um, and, you know, uh, kind of gospel-y. Uh, it just drives and it's about Ain't No Grave going to hold this body down. It just feels like this wow. next adventure, each paddling race, like we got this, we got this thing. I love it. On this note, 
DB, thank you so much for your time and your wise words. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks, DB. Thanks all for listening. I'm your host, Cyril. And remember, life is an adventure. Live it. <laughs> that was fantastic thank you so much db i want to yeah, meet absolutely. you i want to get to know you more seriously i'm coming up there are you making wine these days we, we will be right now we're still in farm mode so the winery has been closed down for a couple of years and then as we're making the transition as, as i bought my parents out um, from this endeavor uh we'll farm this year and use proceeds to to re-engage uh, the winery process okay All right. So, you know, I was in the winemaking for 12 years. Oh, uh, really? Okay. Not as a winemaker, but in the winemaking world. We were, so I actually moved to the U.S. for that. Uh, I started the subsidiary of a French company from Montpellier, and we're doing consulting in winemaking, so from grape to bottle. And that was really interesting, different protocols from different kinds of wines and, you know, turbidity, fermentation, oxygen, and yeast, and all that stuff. Yeah, that was my... Yeah, I don't think, I think somehow I missed, I missed that... <laughs> That it's getting warm, warm out here. Somehow I missed that detail. That's awesome. Yeah. So I would love to come up and 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 visit you. Uh, actually, you know what? I, I got COVID last week. I got COVID positive. I have no idea how I caught it. I'm, I'm vaccinated, obviously, and being super careful. But somehow I got it and I'm over it now. But I lost. Okay. So I lost my smell. Mm. And I know it's going to be, I don't know. Hopefully it's going to be temporary. But right. it's been so hard for the last week not to smell anything. Like I take uh. a bottle of whiskey and I don't smell anything. Uh. So, uh, yeah, whenever It'll I get come back, back, well, yeah, <laughs> I'll come back. I would love to come and visit you and, uh, and see your setup up, up there in Oregon. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, it's been so, so great watching uh, your adventures as well. Definitely continue to root for each next thing and to see how the story continues. Yes, the dream is still alive. <laughs> right on. <laughs> thanks for your time, DB. I appreciate it so much. Sounds good. Thanks. Have a beautiful day. Bye-bye.